0: second service second peter we look forward to it because we enjoyed first peter it's now um, one year later after he's written first peter one year later he writes to the same people living in the same region now only one year later two years before his martyrdom so that's the context let's pray Father God in this new book second Peter and here in chapter 1 the uh, secret to a blessed life you lay it out seven character qualities that will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive and prevents us from stumbling in this life and and afford to us a rich welcome on that day when we come face to face with you so lord that's what we want we want to hear well done good and faithful servant and so Help us, Lord, to have ears that can hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting back in, I think, the 60s, self-help books were all the rage. Uh, You know, self-proclaimed experts in some subject that, uh, you know, anywhere from fitness to finance and everything in between, ready and willing to uh, guide us into the success we've always dreamed of. You know, maybe the father of this modern day phenomenon, Dale Carnegie, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, was that first book that kind of started a never-ending flow of self-help books, like, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful uh, People or The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, and I was surprised to see even that Arnold Schwarzenegger has a book out now. His last book is Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life, oh my goodness, you know, wow. So lots of smart insights given us through these kinds of books, uh, no doubt. You know, they, they tell us you know you need to drink more water, which it always seems to be the answer to the world's problems. Is that to, to to hydrate? You know, or they'll they'll say don't spend more than you make. Well, yeah, thanks for telling me that. And then you know a good one: count to three, Mississippi before you send that email if you're still angry, (laughs) right? So never, never send uh, an email when you're upset. You know, you kind of live to regret that. And all of these kinds of things appear uh, in books that we read on the subject. But at the end of the day, human willpower and flesh-generated ingenuity only goes so far. We are going to be disappointed And things that matter most, like concerning our soul, spiritual things. But there's good news because God's got a bestseller out there, doesn't he? And uh, it's not a self-help book. But it is a book to tell us who cannot help ourselves how to find that help that we so desperately need. And so the short answer, of course, is knowing the Lord, because when you have the Lord, you have everything you could possibly need since we were designed for him. And our our, our, our lives can never be everything they should be, everything they ought to be, everything that we want them to be uh, without the one who made us. And so, yeah, the seven tools of life aren't much help without the author of life, as Christ is called in Acts chapter 3. So speaking of successful life, as God defines success, uh, he does have advice. And uh, once we come to know him, of course, we're saved through faith, It's a free gift of eternal life through knowing Christ. Uh, There is something that we can do on our part to make our lives effective, quote, productive and fail-proof. That's what he says. When we do those things, we are guaranteed spiritual success. And so that when we finish the race that is set before us and we see him face to face, we will receive a distinguished welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. So all of this and more found here now in the opening words of the New Testament book, 2 Peter, starting chapter 1 and verse 1, 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of God Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us By his own glory and goodness. Not because of anything in us, but he has called us because of his own glorious mercy. Verse 4, through these promises he has given us, uh, his very great and precious promises, uh, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil uh, desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he's nearsighted and blind, spiritually speaking, has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome uh, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just beautiful words. And we're going to walk through the passage. And three talking points really here unfold before us now. First of all, note takers, the greeting. Uh, which even though it's a greeting, it's still, it's God's word. So it's packed with some rich insights. Verses 1 and 2. The second talking point, the promises and power of God, verses three and four, which lead to the secret to a successful Christian life, verses five through 11. We'll end with that. So, yeah, like I said, it's the Word of God. So, as the uh, couple verses here in the um, beginning appear now before you, there we go, uh, we see the greeting. With its rich application, uh, starting with the way Peter introduces himself, Simon Peter here, he says, and so the ancients, as you remember, signed their letters right up front, which makes a lot of sense, even with the scrolls, right? And it's interesting that he uses uh, na- that he uses both names. He uses his given birth name in the Hebrew Shimon. Uh, Simon, anglicized Simon, uh, but he goes also, uh, of course, mostly by Peter from the Greek Cephas, which means rock-like. So it's uh, uh, speaking of moral fortitude and strength of character, rock-like thinking and behavior, something Peter uh, wasn't something Simon wasn't, that he would become Peter, uh, something the Lord would make of him. And so the Lord gave him that nickname there, the rock or Peter. And so interestingly, he doesn't just introduce himself as Peter. He, He could have just said, hey, it's the apostle Peter here. But no, he says, Simon Peter. And Commentators are quick to point out that Simon is a, is really associated with his BC days before Christ uh, when he was anything but a rock. He was impulsive and unsteady. And the name Simon is associated with his humiliating fall. There in Luke chapter 22 at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus gave him a heads up after Peter just said, you know, everybody else will fall away from you, but I will never abandon you. And after he said that, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, not Peter, Peter. Simon, Simon, this very night, Satan wants to have you and sift you like wheat and unravel you and comes to pass a few hours later, uh, following Jesus' arrest there in the courtyard, warming his hands by the fire, a little, um, you know, a teenage girl, servant girl uh, questioned him and said, hey, you're one of those Christ followers, aren't you? He denied it twice. And then on the third time, we read, Peter swore. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a, ro- a rooster crowed. Uh, there, Matthew 26, there, that line. Uh, so this is a man who's been there, done that <laughs> with stumbling and falling. And so he, he's saying to them, here's how to avoid falling like I did. If you do these things, you will never fall. You will never stumble like that. Uh, So he leads with the name that kind of brings some humility. Simon Peter saying, listen, I'm a work in progress. And aren't we all? There's still some Simon left in me, in all of us. And uh, understand that and take appropriate action, it'll be very helpful in your Christian maturity. Uh, One writer said this, it's a wise safeguard against human pride and the destruction that comes with that to keep closely in mind who we are and what we're capable of without the good grace of God. Now, speaking of the good grace of God, it's all, all over this greeting and all over the letter and all over the New Testament, uh, really. Notice the wonderful way he describes his recipients. I'm writing to you who have received the same precious faith as ours. Uh, see, uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon put it this way about the preciousness of the, our faith. He said, yes, indeed, precious, precious our faith it deals with the precious love of god and his precious promises that bring us precious assurance jesus precious blood a precious rescue from condemnation made possible by the precious person and work of our great god and savior jesus christ and so and, and did, you, did you catch that? He says, you guys have the same precious faith that we apostles have. Because sometimes I think we think, oh, well, they have this amazing faith. And They were the eyewitnesses. And Peter heard the voice of the Lord and got out of the boat and walked on water. And of course, he's got this immovable faith that's so deep. And he says, listen, I'm writing to you. You believe in the Lord, there's no second class Christians that you have the same exact faith as somebody who walked with him and saw him and handled, as 1 John says, handled the word of life, the word made flesh. And so uh, that's kind of a cool thing that we can have the same, that we do have the same faith as Elijah. And, and, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob—the faith is faith. He's trying to say that once you have faith, you have what every person who winds up in heaven has: the same richness, and the same depth, and the same same passion of the eyewitnesses themselves, the Bible heroes. So, and a shout out there in this opening paragraph to the deity of Christ. Deity means that he's God. Uh, he's not an angel. He's not a created being, he is one with God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. That is who God is. And uh, Kenneth Woost, uh, one of the most renowned experts in biblical uh, Greek, uh, is, says this the greek text here demands that we understand jesus as the god who saves he is the god man who came to save so you see that he he's mentioned uh, the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ but uh people like the jehovah's witnesses split that they split that up and say they're two different beings talked about but they're not Because Jesus claimed to be God. He said uh, that he and the Father were one. And uh, when Philip said on the night Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper. Show us a glimpse of God. And that will be enough for us. And he said what? Have I been with you so long still you don't recognize me? Whoever seen me has seen God Philip. John chapter 14 verse 9 look it up because Jesus was not afraid or shy to admit that he was equal to God in every way. And so, yeah, there you have a shout-out to his deity, which is uh, really unbelievable in itself that uh, we have such a great Savior as he. And the knowledge that it says, through the knowledge of Jesus there, just so you know, it's through the knowledge of the second person of the Godhead that grace and peace are made possible, let alone (laughs) salvation, of course. And the word for knowledge there is not intellectual facts so much as experiential knowledge of, of knowing Christ, as you would know a person, it, it's, it, it's the byproduct of a personal relationship, a personal intimate friendship of knowing. That's the knowledge here, not just uh, the facts up here. Uh, last night, I did something uh, at the kitchen table. I rearranged something in a certain random way With no rhyme or reason, I didn't know I was going to do it. I just did something. And Barb goes, I knew you were going to do that. And I'm like, how could you know if I didn't know? And she goes, 38 years, Mr. Reinman, You know, so... First of all, we don't really know it's 38 years because we don't know how long we've been married. I mean, we just always, we do, we should, but we always say the wrong number, and so it's somewhere around 38, right? Right, but but the point is, is that... (laughs) The point is, is that she knew something about me because she knows me right and that is the understanding of how grace and salvation works is that there will be quite a few sadly people who will perish full of knowledge full of knowledge with a phd in religious studies they know all about the gospels all about the bible but they didn't know him and in matthew chapter 7 he says on that day when they stand before me i will say depart from me i didn't know you you didn't know me. We didn't connect in that way. So you gotta make sure that you know you don't just know stuff. You're not just being a churchgoer, but that, that something's happened to you. You've encountered a person and you know him and he knows you. That's what's going on here. And then an opening prayer for grace and peace to flood their lives. Grace is like God's unmerited favor, God's smile on you, uh, you know. And if you have the smile of God on your life, you're going to have peace, that overall overall sense that it is well with your soul. And if you've got a loving friendship with God and, and all his promises are for you, what do you got to worry about? I got a friend who recently uh, heard some really bad news from a doctor. He went in, he was feeling fatigued, and something wasn't right. And And uh, turns out uh, he has late stage cancer. He's in his 40s. And uh, he was telling me the story the other day of when he got diagnosed, and that his super chill reaction to the news caught the doctor off guard. And so the doctor—he's telling me. The doctor kept repeating himself awkwardly, like, uh, uh, "Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me tell you again in another way." You know. And and my friend said, "I heard you the first time. I'm at perfect peace with death and dying. Should that be God's plan for my life? Um, why? Because he knows about God? Because he read some book about God? No. Because he has personally sensed." that warm feeling, that presence, he has personally heard that still small voice of the spirit of Christ who's within. He's witnessed his own powerful transformation. And so uh, because he knows the Lord who conquered death and rose again and promised eternal life to those who trust him, then he has... um, peace and he has uh, power it doesn't mean that we don't deal with human emotions of course it just means God's grace and peace and power supersedes everything else and speaking of power it's time to dig into the now the body of the letter uh, verses three and four with his divine power giving us everything that we need uh, for life and godliness through the knowing of him through our relationship with jesus who's called us by his own glory and goodness and he talks about now the promises of god that are fulfilled in uh, participating in the divine nature the same power that raised christ from the dead uh, dwells in us as romans tells us and so Yeah, so to these first century believers who are bullied and marginalized and oppressed uh, by their persecutors, which is really still going on there under Emperor Nero, uh, they're feeling without power and without recourse in a hostile world. And Peter is going to just open the letter and say, uh, you have more going for you than you may realize. God shares his power his divine power with his children here's my go-to guy Spurgeon again Uh, uh, quoting divine power he says he says what a spectacular thought and thoughts that are hidden in these words he says It was that power which dug the foundations of the earth and the sea. Divine power is what guides the paths of the stars of heaven. Divine power, it is what upholds the structure of the universe and its divine power that will one day shake the very foundations of all things and bring it all back to its original form of nothingness. That divine power dwells in me and in you and it's the most underutilized uh, power that ever was and i believe that the devil's main strategy is to keep you from realizing the power that is in your heart and at your Beck and call, as it were, according to God's will. So we've got to be careful here because the false teachers have had a field day with this paragraph in front of you, an entire denomination. This is their go-to paragraph uh, because uh, here, the truth that God shares the divine power uh, and nature with us is not so that we could become divine little gods using that power in self-serving ways which the word of faith denomination teaches that because of this verse that we are little gods and we run around we speak things into existence and you're not happy with your finances well then speak over your finances and if somebody's hurting with a sickness you just don't ask god what god wants and you never say uh, nevertheless thy will be done oh no 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 that's a lack of faith you just come out and you command as the little god that you are and you speak into existence through your divine nature and the divine power that's in you ah but if they just read the verses they would see that god gives us his divine nature and his divine power to make us more like him. To, quote, <laughs> escape the corruption. The word means to rot or to decay. The moral filth and moral rot to escape uh, for in the world all of this uh, sinfulness caused by evil desires. The purpose is to not make us happy as much as it is to make us holy. Holy meaning morally pure like a god so the second that we get saved and the spirit comes into a sinful life he starts moral transformation called sanctification and this is the purpose why he's given us a holy spirit to come in at conversion to raise us to new life and give us his nature meaning his moral nature to make us to have a disposition that loves goodness and mercy, and truth, and patience, and love, and graciousness. This is what the power and the nature of God is given into our hearts. That is the purpose uh, for that, not to serve ourselves. My goodness. Now, when we are living like Christ, the way we were Uh, designed to be reflecting his moral character then life makes sense and life is blessed and we are truly happy that's where the happiness comes from no matter what our circumstances are or painful as they may be when when it is well with our souls we have true joy that's something that isn't affected by the kind of car that's sitting in the driveway, uh, that can't give us. Now, the plan is to give us the power that we need to be who he wants us to become because how frustrating would it be for God to give you a command that you can never, ever fulfill. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that in our hearts nothing good dwells, says the Bible, except his grace. When his grace comes in, So he knows, he said in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do none of this. You'll have to attach and stay connected to me like a branch is connected to the vine and receives its life-giving sap there and nourishment. That is the only way that my divine power and my nature flow into you as you remain open and cooperative with me, then And only then will you uh, have that ability to do what God's called you to do. The Christian life is impossible, of course. Loving your enemies, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Denying sinful desires, Matthew 16. Uh, To humble ourselves, James 4. Uh, To be other-centered and to be everyone's servant mark ten forty-five. i could just stop there right and just say no one in this room could ever possibly hope to do that even for a weekend let alone a lifetime 24 7 oh my goodness we need god's help to do that and uh, and everything he commands and so he says Uh, The divine life is given to you so that now you will have everything you need for life and godliness. Uh, That's amazing. And he says, look, it, it comes to us as a result of great and precious promises, this power. Of course, the great promise that we're all thinking about happened at the Last Supper there in John chapter 15. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled on this Last meal together, he says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't worry, I'll come and get you, bring you to that place. But in the meantime, I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you a comforter, the spirit of truth to be with you and in you. Now that Holy Spirit has the power and the nature of God himself because guess what? The Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit is God, and he comes in to those who have repented of their sins and trusted in the second person of the uh, Godhead. The third person of the Godhead comes to make his dwelling with us, and he raises us to a life. So the promise was, wait in Jerusalem, don't lift a pinky uh, without having that Power come upon you. And then, in fulfillment of the promise on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what happened? A mighty, powerful sounding, rushing wind. At, in Greek, the name is Spirit. It's the same word. The wind and the Spirit, the same word in the Greek for Holy Spirit, came with the sound of a tornado, with the symbol of fire, flames of fire over everybody's heads there, and filled them with this Holy Spirit, so much so that now Simon, who who just denied Jesus 50 days earlier, is standing up preaching a sermon to the very faces that condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a sermon it is, bold and courageous, because why now? He's got the divine nature on board. Simon is giving way to Peter, the rock. And so that's what happens when anybody comes to know the Lord, believes the gospel, opens their hearts, surrender their lives, trust in Jesus, that his spirit comes in. And that spirit is working night and day to make us more like Christ, as loving as Christ, as patient as Christ, and as merciful as Christ. That is the, the plan. And uh, evidence of genuine salvation, if Christ is in your life, there's moral transformation. If there's no moral transformation in your heart and life, uh, then Houston we have a problem. <laughs> uh, listen to what John says in First John chapter three: No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has e- either seen him or known him. Now, John's already told us we do keep on sinning. It's the nature of the uh, of. Our lives is that we're not completed until we see him. The point here is that if you stay in a sinful lifestyle and sin, you're committing sins blatantly every day. You're the same person as you used to be, but you just talk like a Christian. He says, you're kidding only yourself because God's power is in you to give you that desire and the ability to To uh, have moral transformation, Mary Magdalene, she left her life of sin. She became, with the touch of the Lord, a a pillar of moral virtue and the first witness of the resurrection. Uh, You know, she used to be a homewrecker. And now she's elevated above the disciples who were you know, afraid and not at the tomb on Sunday morning. But she was. Saul of Tarsus was the greatest enemy of the Christian church until the divine nature and the power came upon him. And then he became the greatest missionary, a champion of the gospel that ever lived. Matthew was a despised tax collector but he had an encounter with Christ and he became the writer of the first gospel that bears his name. So how about you? How's the Lord changing your life? You've got to be able to say, in my own nature, I'm this way, but God is changing me and making me this way. There's a hundred different ways you could see that even today. If there's no desire for a moral change, If there's no evidence that you're growing in that direction, every one of us has a two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing that we do. There's never anybody arriving anywhere (laughs) except we're striving. And you should see some evidence of that to know that you're saved. Now the final point is, the work that we do on top of the free gift that nobody can earn called salvation. Let's revisit those verses, five through nine, and then there's a couple leftovers there. So he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So let's start talking about that. So instead of Schwarzenegger's uh, seven tools for life, the Holy Spirit's come up with something better He's called it the seven character qualities that will make or break your Christian life. So for this very reason, what does that mean there? For what reason? For the reason God's spirit came into your heart to uh, set your heart free and to grant you power over your sinful nature. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So now he's saying... Salvation is a free gift. You did nothing. You can do nothing. You hear the gospel. You you turn away from your own sinful self and you trust in Christ. You're saved through Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone, period. Now he says, that's your faith. That's the foundation. Christ did that. Done. You're saved forever. You're going to heaven and it had nothing to do with you, period. All you did was trust. Done. Now he says, now it's your turn. And Christians really resist this kind of, even though it's right there in front of you, that says, now you, now it's your turn. Make every effort. And of course, even our effort needs the help of the Holy Spirit. So we're not denying that. But there is human agency involved here now and responsibility that will either determine a blessed life in the physical and a blessed afterlife or not. And it all is up to whether you're willing to make every effort at bringing some of the character qualities that belong to God and are only found in God and can only get in there through the grace of God uh, to to take every effort uh, that is so important. And so, yeah, most Christians, as I've been saying, Resist this idea because it feels like we're being legalistic or we've got some sort of works based salvation going. But it's clear Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of any righteous things we had done but because of his mercy, you see. So we we got that. Our goodness is like filthy rags. Check. We understand that. That said, he says, your salvation depends on God, but the joy of your salvation depends on you and the quality of your Christian life depends on your willingness, your effort, your focus, your diligence to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who's entered and now needs your cooperation so he's saying let's do this let's start building the christian life so that it'll be always effective always productive and fail proof in every way so that when you see the lord you will get a very uh, warm welcome into his presence so yeah let, let's talk about this you know diligence is is important so he says These uh, virtues are going to uh, be the answer uh, to what you're looking for. So make every effort. um, Work the program, as it were. So, uh, yeah, focus, intentionality. What does it mean to make every effort? Well, you're prayerful about things. So that when you see yourself manifesting a vice, Instead of uh, having integrity, you're being dishonest about something. You catch yourself. The Holy Spirit's so good about saying, hey, look at this. So you own it. You see it. You're aware of what you're doing. And then you pray the opposite. God, give me another chance. Give me another shot at this. I'm going to get this. I, I confess. I turn from it. I renounce this flaw, this sin, this vice. And now I want to pray in Virtue, the opposite of the vice. And so this is how you make every effort. First of all, you're paying attention. Am I a person that has these characters? Or am I manifesting the opposite? You're praying, you're aware, you're focused. I worked under a missionary in the Philippines. I spent a summer in the Philippines as a missionary intern when I was in my 20s through Bible college. And uh, I love this guy. His name is Dwight. And Dwight came into the hut there in like a jungle village. And he had been walking down a mountain trail. And he came in to breakfast. And he had little index cards. And I said, what's up with the cards? And he said, oh, these are character qualities in the Bible that I know God is trying to get me to uh, embrace and incorporate into my life. And so on the cards, he had the virtue, and by the way, this is an exhaustive list, but it is interesting that the Holy Spirit says, these are seven that are really key, but there's so many of them through the New Testament, and he had a whole stack. And he was just memorizing the the scripture with the attribute and praying and watching for the moment that he could ask the Holy Spirit to manifest that character quality in him. And that was a secret to him being a a man of God and having gotten a warm welcome in heaven because that's where he is now. And uh, so... Amazing, that always stuck with me. Well, here's the list here. He's using a a metaphor, Peter is, a layering effect on top of the ground floor of your salvation. Here are seven things you do that will make your life blessed. Rung number one is goodness. It means moral excellence, integrity, uprightness, being a straight arrow, uh, living honorably, doing what's right ethical you know good thoughts good words good motives good deeds whatever your circumstances are you're treated unfairly you're mistreated you're not getting your needs met but you still have this goodness that that, that manifests in so many uh, wonderful various ways you know i told the first service about amco it was a million years ago we had a van that the transmission went out, and so Amco said, "Yeah, we can do it. It's no problem." He comes back to me at the counter and he says, "You know, your warranty, you're just over, just 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 slightly over. But you know, no worries. And here's a quote, absolutely his quote to me, i'm as I'm as honest as the day is long. However, if we just do a little change here, I will get paid. You will get a new transmission. And we're both going to be happy. It's win-win. And I said, no, I can't do that. I cannot do that. Now, does Simon want to do that? Simon always wants to do that. But Peter doesn't. And if you have the Holy Spirit, there's just a little bit, depending on your spiritual maturity, of what kind of war goes on in those moments. But he says, add to your faith faith goodness then the rung to there is knowledge and in this context it means kind of an understanding of the bible that you know that the essential doctrines of your christian faith you know about heaven and hell and who the devil is and who the lord is and what god's like and what pleases god and, and and what god's will is for your life and the future events that are coming you don't have to be have the knowledge of a pastor because you're not a pastor and God doesn't expect you to be one. And if you're not an evangelist and you don't have that calling, but you should be able to explain the gospel. To somebody who asks you, so what's up? How, how would I get to heaven? You should be able to take them through and kind of know your way around the Bible. That's what he's saying. Because if you don't have that, you know, you're just kind of hamstrung a little bit in your Christian life if you don't know for your own sake. And how useful are you to others? The third rung is self-control. King James has temperance, but really they mean the same thing. And, you know, of all the virtues, really, uh, this is called the king of them all. Because without self-control, it's just a matter of time before your life implodes. Uh, because uh, as Proverbs 25:28 says, a man without or a woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So in other words, you have no protection. So, uh, you know, you're vulnerable to your knee-jerk reactions, Uh, Foolish impulses, uh, angry outbursts, selfishness, greed, lust, uh, envy, anger, and all the appetites of pleasures and food and alcohol and keeping your mouth closed. If you don't have self-control, you're a dead man walking. That's what the Bible says, pretty much. So that's one you want. Number four. Oh, and by the way, self control two Bible heroes who finished poorly, who disgraced themselves. They're in heaven. The New Testament says it. King Solomon disgraced himself because he didn't have self control, he wasn't making every effort. Oh, no. He was making another kind of effort because, uh, you know, he he never met a pretty face that he didn't marry, you know. <laughs> he couldn't say no to his lust. And who's the other one? Samson, Bible hero. Up until the last chapters, you, you do kind of see him taking shortcuts along the way. But in the end... The Philistines jump on top of him, chain him, gouge out his eyes, and they use him to entertain their drunken festivals. Bring out the man of God. And he comes out blinded with no eyes, doing this, and they're all laughing and getting drunk. However, his hair started to grow again because God was with him, even though he wasn't making any effort to say no. He gave it all away for what? For Delia, come on, and then he died by pulling in the two pillars he was chained to and said, Lord, just give me give me one more shot at these guys and and pulled in the pillars and down came the roof. And the Bible says that he killed more of the enemy in his death than throughout his long career as a warrior. So yeah, shout out, God loves them, they're in heaven, but they crash landed on the runway of heaven. They had to be pulled out of the little piper cut there, hosed down by the angels and said, glad you're here, bro glad you're here but no that was not a way to come into the runway and peter peter is 100 percent saying do you want to crash land on the run uh, on the runway you want to get hosed down with the fire extinguishers like that and everybody's like is he breathing you know and because first corinthians chapter three says you can be saved as though through the flames with no reward because you didn't take this to heart. You just thought, I'm saved by grace, you know. I'm being a nice person. But you're not making every effort to get these character qualities up and running. Perseverance is just means, the word means to, to stay under the weight. That's what the word means, under the weight. So you're walking around and you're not giving up because you realize it's a marathon it's not a sprint. this Christian life and that you if you're not able to, to take a beating if you're not able to take a beating and have people turn on you and say bad things about you uh, then you're never going to make it that's why you have to have this you got to have it to protect you because being a Christian is not for the faint of heart I'll just tell you that. And all God's people said, I heard that was deep from your heart. Godliness, most people think godliness means being godly, but it doesn't. It means reverence. It means the fear of God, which leads to a... Piety, the old King James word for this, this reverent behavior that is godliness, but it's based on having proper awe. So by the fear of the Lord, the Proverbs say one turns away from evil because you, you, you revere God. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because smart starts with the reverence for the one who holds your next breath in his hand. The beginning of wisdom is to have a healthy dose of respect for someone who just gave your heart permission to beat again. Scientists say there's this little electrical impulse that, that science cannot figure out where it comes from. It's an electrical current that tells your heart to beat and no one knows where it comes from except us. We know, and the Holy Spirit's going, go ahead, beat again beat again so the beginning of wisdom is to fear the one who's giving your permission giving his permission for your heart to beat it just makes sense amen Amen. Amen. all right (laughs) brotherly kindness here blood is thicker than water so peter's pointing out what we all know that all things being equal there's nothing like family ties and loyalty You treat your kid brother differently, you should, (laughs) than uh, just the average stranger. There's this warmth and this grace and there's just this thing. And he says, treat your brothers and sisters in Christ with this kind of affection, this kind of cutting them slack and loving them and lending them a hand and all of this. But kindness is the key. Kindness, if you are more kind, you will be so blessed Fill your world with kindness and you will be more blessed yourself and then everybody around you. You will make such a difference. Kindness is so powerful and so needed and so underutilized in this world that's so hard and harsh and ugly. And then you have somebody who just will do something kind or say something kind. It can be life-changing. I could live on a compliment for days, can't you? I mean, just, just you get your heart touched. This, this just happened to me. I was at Starbucks a few days ago. And I went to pay, and she goes, "Oh, no need. The guy in front of you paid for you." And I'm like, oh, "What?" When I'm trying to identify him, I'm looking as he's driving away, and it's like, "Is he one of you guys, or did he notice me, or or just random?" Sometimes it just happens that way. And then I'm like, "Oh, I just love love him. I want to be friends with him, you know." And I, I I just wanted to return the favor, but it was felt so good, especially because my order. Was was for the entire staff. (laughs) I know, I know. It was $27. You know, I could just see his face too. It's like, hey, I want to pay for his order. You know, she goes, well, are you sure? It's $27. But once he said that, he's kind of stuck. Poor guy. (laughs) You know, oh yeah, no, no, I don't want to pay for that. (laughs) You know, so, you know, it's so funny because God was like, look, you wanted to bless the staff. And God sees that. It's just you can't outgive give God. You just can't outgive give God. That's what he says about give and it'll be given to you. And I just mentioned this. Why? Because he can entrust you as a giver to give more to you because you're going to give and bless others. And so, yeah, that's what he's talking about there. And then love. As we're getting closer to finishing up now, uh, not the world's version of being nice to those who are nice to us, but a- uh, Agapeo, Agape, it's this warrior love that's you, you all know. You know, it's unconditional love. Just loves for the sake of loving, wants nothing in return. Love's for the the only concern is for the best interest of the beloved. You see. Oh, I just talked to somebody recently, and uh, they're not they're not in our church. But I said to them, your problem with taking advantage of this girl that's not married to you, which means to stop if you're a Christian, is because you don't love her. You love yourself. And you're using her to give you what only a husband who's committed for a lifetime deserves. But you want it, not because you love her, but because you don't care about her and love yourself more than her own needs, you see. So if anyone wants to come to counseling, my, my office hours are nine to five. So somebody, somebody just told me, I am never coming to you for counseling because it's just a little too direct, you know? It's like, actually, you're gonna want it direct, right? I mean, it'll save you a lot of money out in the world. $125 an hour saved, you know, all right. So love, love that can love in enemies, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile when you didn't want to uh, go the first one. I've got First Corinthians 13, here's love. Love's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. I'm not getting my needs, now. Uh It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. But two years ago, you said, oh, sorry, <laughs> six or <laughs> six. Love does not delight in evil. In other words, yeah, it's not, we just love you. You can do whatever you want. doesn't matter. We don't love at the expense of right and wrong. We don't just stamp everything cool because that's what love is. Love just lets anybody do whatever. No, not God's Love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Uh, That's what he wants. And he says, uh, make every effort to get God's love up and running in your life. And then we continue on. Uh, He says, now he gives two outcomes based on whether you're working the program or neglecting it. So if you're doing, making every effort, it's verse 8. And if you're neglecting it, it's verse 9. So he says, if these traits are in you, you are going to be kept from being ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective is the word uh, barren or empty. It means to be unemployed. In other words, when you don't have character as a Christian, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the answer. And you're useless to God. Okay. (laughs) If you don't have goodness in your life or self-control or love or compassion for others or honesty and integrity, you're part of the problem. He's sending discipline your way to help grow you out of that. But unemployed, idle, and lazy is what it means. Another word, useless and worthless. And unproductive means unfruitful. Quite literally, it means no fruit and that means you're just not <laughs> producing anything of value, and so, yeah. Um, if you have these uh, virtues, and then you're an example to others, you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're you're busy doing the father's work. You're you're lightening people's loads. You're you're being uh, being useful and helpful, and. Uh, Your life is counting for God. You're making a difference, you see. Then he goes on to say, but if these character qualities are not finding a home in your heart and life, uh, uh uh-oh, you're flying blind without the virtues. So what does he mean by that? He's saying without character uh, qualities like humility, reverence for God, you can't see straight your vision your ability to assess your own spiritual condition and what god wants you only see yourself it's almost like if you if you don't have character qualities in your in your life that you you kind of go back to the default mechanism of me myself and i so you, you're no longer able to and so a, person without character is always seeing everybody else's problem and always complaining about everybody else and has no self-control no no bridle on the tongue and and so they're not useful in these ways and uh they're blind so and and then he goes on to say that they have forgotten that they've been cleansed of their sins in other words a person without character who's, who's happy with the way they are without character or virtue has forgotten the whole point of their Christian life. They've forgotten the whole thing that they had a lifetime of sins, he washed it away, and now as a result, you're, you're, you're going to live your life through gratitude and joy uh, to develop and be the kind of person God wants you to be. But if you don't have character, uh, you just forget you forget the whole thing and you're living your Christian life the way you would have lived your old life with with the blinders on that it's all about you because you're not able to apologize for hurting somebody. You're not able to repent or or own your own bad behavior because you don't have character. Only people with character do things like that. So that's why he's saying that you'd be spiritually blind. Then we finish up with 10 and 11 and then we're done. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. So here's what he's saying. Do you ever wonder if you're really saved or not? Well, why not be eager to find out and assure your own heart that you truly are going to heaven by having virtue in your life? Because no unbeliever is filled with God's love and self-control and a desire to be holy and good and honest and upright so the more you struggle and pray these things and see these things in your heart and life the more you're you're like i am saved oh that is the holy spirit oh i'm really going to heaven so he says when you've got these virtues in your heart and life and they're they're ever increasing You're assured of your own salvation. That's really nice. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Of course, you're full of character. You're just not. Listen, you've got character. You're not going to commit adultery. Nobody with character is going to do pornography, commit adultery, or tell a fat lie or betray somebody because they have character. Character. Character will protect you from all of those things you will never stumble. It doesn't mean hard things aren't going to happen to you. It just means hard things that you cause because of your stupidity or your foolishness or your, your unwillingness to, what's the word? <laughs> Make every effort. I, that was like running away from me in my mind. I'm like, come back. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And you will re- receive a rich welcome. We end with this a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Conversely, there will be Christians who don't ever bother with working and making every effort at character, who will not receive a rich, warm welcome. Of course, they're going to be loved and they're not going to feel ashamed because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. But there will be this equitable, just rendering of everybody who made the effort and is richly welcomed and those who got in there as through fire 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 through 15 if you're taking notes you just made it you got saved but you're a lot of work because you didn't try to do anything else you're like I'm going to live my life now you know, and I'll try to say a few nice things about God along the way, but I'm not doing this, making every effort, and carrying around cards with me all day long. What are the cards? Oh, I want to be more godly. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay, fine. Then, no rich welcome. The word rich welcome has a nuance of a chorus of people who would come and gather at the gates of the city, and as the uh, Warriors return from battle. They would sing in victory and welcome them and cheer. And this is the idea: he's saying there is going to be an entrance of people who maybe you touched. They are waiting, gathered. I'm going to quote one guy, and then we're going to pray. He says, "Will your entrance at F.B. Meyer, scholar?" renowned scholar every pastor in the world has his sets of commentaries will your entrance into heaven be like that will you enter it so or will you enter so as saved by fire or to receive reward will you will you come unrecognized and unknown or be welcomed by many who have been blessed in some way through your effort for the lord let's pray Father God, thank you for your wonderful love. Pray that you guide us now as we digest these words and take them to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.